advertisement, don't you? I suppose if I gave it any thought, I would. Once again, the Greg Proops Film Club takes to the ether here from the salubrious confines of Hollywood's most artistic endeavor, the place where film is enshrined and cinema will always reign supreme in a darkened hall with candy that you eat from a box and try not to rattle. It's the Cine family here in Fairfax on the tennis shoe and baseball hat neighborhood of Los Angeles, California. Pray for us. Once again, we meet to convene and honor cinema in all of its glory. Tonight, we're going to be showing Jean-Pierre Melville's uh, terse gangster classic. It's called Le Samurai. If you don't speak French, that means The Samurai. <laughs> which just about covers how much French I learned. I took French for four and a half years, and I learned to say two things. I can order a beer, and I can count to eight. <laughs> which makes me invaluable in those situations when you're ordering from one to eight beers. <laughs> Say, for instance, you want to order three beers. You'd go, um, je voudrais, um... <laughs> Say you want to order two beers. <laughs> it's an immortal classic tonight, and you'll see very much why. This is the time to uh, get it queued up, ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening out there in Proofcast land. Whatever purloined copy you've found, maybe it's on Netflix, I don't know. I looked on YouTube, but I didn't find an... Uh, uh, did anyone find a copy you could watch for free? Evidently not. We have a full house here tonight. I can't tell you how gratifying it is on a Tuesday night in the height of summer in the shallowest town in the entire world <laughs> to have this many cinephiles fill into a room to watch a 60s gangster film from France with subtitles. My heart soars. Yeah. You know, the French could argue that they invented cinema, and I think they will. Uh, till the chatons arrive back at the Maison, baby. Uh, and they can argue it in a lot of million ways, but this film is an homage, it's, uh, it's, it's an extrapolation, it's an extenuation, it's a, it's a reflection, it's everything that a, a gangster film needs to be, albeit one set in France. Um, when I say terse, this movie's like biting into a fucking piece of ice with tinfoil wrapped around it. You go, ow, fuck, and then later, ooh, that kind of hurt, I'm gonna do it again and shen just to see if it hurt as much as it did the first time. Uh, Melville made a lot of groovy, groovy pictures. And uh, uh, all right, to give you an idea of French sense, a couple of years ago, my wife and I were in Paris, and we went to, there's a million movie theaters just like this all over Paris that are showing movies just like this. Like, we've seen in Paris, uh, The African Queen in the Middle of the Afternoon, uh, a movie called the, the City Never Sleeps by Fritz Lang, in the middle of the day where Dana Andrews, in this movie, visibly drunk, there's not a lot of movies where actors are the Hellfighters with John Wayne, but that, that's a lot of John Wayne movies toward the end. In the Hellfighters, it was like, there's a fire, cut, print it. You know, like, it's awesome. It's awesome. It's really good. There's a movie called Mark of the Devil, Eye of the Devil, Mark of the Eye of the Devil, Eye of the Mark of the Devil. It's by Gene Roddenberry. Yeah, the man who wrote Star Trek. So, you know, fucking quality plateau starts here, and then we ascend immediately to K2. Um, and it's a British movie, and it's got Gig Young and Robert Culp. So, again... Yeah. When I say Robert Culp, you say, oh, fuck yeah, why didn't I see this before? Um, Gig Young, openly drunk in the movie. And at one point in the movie, it's a movie about a demon and an amulet and whatnot. And the woman who plays uh, Nurse Chapel in Star Trek plays the demon ass in the movie and the warlock ass. And she goes, uh, she, there's a, an amulet. And Robert Culp goes, you better be careful. And Gig Young goes, I'll be fine here with my Islamic app. <laughs> 
My wife and I watched it back 14 times. Over and over. What is he saying? I'll be fine. And finally, we determined it was, I'll be fine here with my Icelandic ham. So we're in Paris a couple of years ago, and we weren't, we weren't seeing Mark of the Devil, more's the pity. But Dana Andrews in uh, Night in the City, While the City Sleeps, I think it's called. Yeah. Uh, they, every scene is set in a bar, I think, to cover the fact that he's drinking. So people will come in and he'll go, I've got to go. I've got a TV show in a couple of minutes. And it's not drunk. Like, people never act drunk like they do, like, in bad movies where they go, like, woohoo, man, happy new year. And they have a, 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 a fucking lampshade on their head and they go, bum, 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 uh, bum, 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 uh. That happened never. Uh, when people are drunk, they're trying to keep it together more than humanly possible. When have you ever been drunk and not tried to keep it together? When the cop comes over, you don't go, hey, happy new year. You go, good evening. <laughs> I suppose you're wondering why I'm listening to Stravinsky on the radio, officer. <laughs> it's to get you to understand the gravity with which I take the onerous responsibility of piloting this vehicle back to my domicile. <laughs> Happy New Year! So the French movie crowd in Paris goes to these afternoon pictures, American pictures, old-time pictures, French pictures, and they take it very fucking seriously. Like, it's all students. Everyone looks like they're in a... And I'm going to go back for a reference that no one will remember. In a Capio ad from the 90s. Thank you. Uh, yeah, someone... No one laughs. Someone went... <laughs> that was such a fucking judgmental Hollywood whistle. You know what that was? You know what that whistle was? When you're on the set and you make a joke and the joke dies in front of everyone and the second AD goes, that's what that fucking joke was. <laughs> right? The star just said something, it's Reese Witherspoon, and you go, well, at least she's not driving, and everyone goes frosty. <laughs> and the second AD, whose name is always Brad, goes, uh, Greg, uh, doesn't look like you're on the call sheet for tomorrow. I, I guess we're done. We're your wrap. Thanks. Everybody say goodbye to Grab. Oh, we already did. Um, we're th we went to see the pictures, and it was an early evening showing of The Bad Lieutenant with Harvey Keitel. And this is when it came out, so it was, what, 1958, 59. And if you've ever seen The Bad Lieutenant with Harvey Keitel, spoiler alert, he's a lieutenant, but he's awfully naughty. And he's, he's, he's irretrievable. Uh, in the eyes of God he, he's, he's druggy and, he's, and, he, and he gets up to all manner of mischief in the movie and uh, uh, the French crowd was watching it like it was a documentary about the New York police force <laughs> thank you for laughing a little bit as you know it kind of is uh, but on the other hand, we found it outlandish. Like, for instance, when the Mets lose and he shoots the radio and then he puts the red light on the car and drives through New York like a maniac, my wife and I laughed and the whole crowd went, oh, how can you laugh there? Don't you see what the Azdani has reached an emotional nexus in his life and there's a crisis and this is the moment you choose? It reminds me of another moment. <laughs> Down at the end of this block, there's a, a, a place called the Beverly Center. Across from it was is a heinous mall that has like a soup plantation and a <laughs> people listening out there in Greg Proop's film club land LA is a series of mini malls and filling stations punctuated by hipster places so no matter where you are you could be at a big five someone's gonna have a sleeve tattoo looking for a badminton set 
You could be at Air One and there's going to be a heroin addict checking the sell-by date on the fucking cottage cheese. We all live together in a magic wonderland. And there was a movie theater in that hideous mall, if you remember. The staircase is still there. They haven't removed it yet. It's the one that leads into the drugstore. And uh, uh, in that movie theater, my wife and I saw a little movie called Coyote Ugly. And... (laughs) You went to the movie theater and saw Coyote Ugly? I love cinema. Let me ask you something. Is it a Bruckheimer? Because if it is, this is going to happen. Oh, yeah. Someone's going to set fire to a bar and someone's going to dance in fucking hip huggers. And uh, so we go to see the movie. And uh, if you've never seen Coyote Ugly, I plan on spoiling the entire plot for you. (laughs) A young girl from New Jersey goes to Manhattan to seek her fame and fortune. She finds a gig at a place called... Uh, hogs and heifers that'll give you an idea of the intellectual and sexual fucking mores that this movie is perpetrating on the public Bella Abzug and Simone Signoret killed Betty Friedan at Gloria Steinem's house at the outset of the fucking rewrites of this movie during the punch up of this movie Hillary Clinton and Katha Pollitt got together with Elizabeth Warren and made a suicide pact because America had no future. Okay? That's where this movie's coming from. Tyra Banks acts in it. Good night, everyone. Tyra Banks is an actress in this movie. The lead actress is named Pipey Peepadoo. And she had been unknown, pulled... Uh, Down in Louisiana, there was a swamp made out of pure Dr. Pepper. (laughs) The undulating waves that came off of this when the deepest moon rose over the bayou extruded a Venus of the swamp. Indeed, a Venus of the... named Peepy de Poodaloo. And she formed this movie all about her. The next thing you know, uh, she's in New York and she gets up and fucking sings along, not even karaoke, sings along to One Way or Another by Blondie and is hailed as a star all over Manhattan. I'm exaggerating, but so does the movie a little. John Goodman plays her dad. He eats too much chicken. Daddy, I'm worried about you. Don't worry about me. I'm over here stealing the movie. Why are you stealing it, Daddy? Because I'm the only one who can deliver lines convincingly. I don't know if you're aware, but you're in scenes with Tyra Banks. I think I'll be... I'll be manhandling this movie like a bulldog event at at the Grand National Rodeo. Watch me tie this calf up and leave it on the ground. So there was a humorous moment in the movie. Not an intentionally humorous moment. Get this under your skin. Coyote Ugly is a hard-hitting expose about what young women face when leaving... Yeah. When the nest is no longer able to contain the dreams and desires that beat within the breast of an aspirational young girl who seeks to cross the bridge and find civilization and perhaps love. 
And by lip syncing one way or another, fucking creates a name for herself in the small pool. Not since Nev Campbell in the movie Studio 54 said, I'm trying to build something here. <laughs> so she said something like, I love New York or something. And my wife and I laughed. <laughs> the whole movie theater was full of 11-year-old boys. <laughs> Boys, mind you. They had come to watch Pee Pee Perubin. <laughs> she was 19 and smoking hot. If you were 11, that was the best movie that was ever made. Girls in tight jeans dance on a bar a bunch of times. People spray water on each other. My wife and I laughed. An 11-year-old behind us turned and remonstrated violently. <laughs> That's not funny. Now, of course, we can't stop fucking laughing. I was like... <laughs> because to him, it was like The Grand Illusion by Renoir. He had, yeah, he had just finished watching The Passenger by Antonioni and was moved. This was Last Tango in Paris by Bertolucci. He was like, can't you see the existential angst that this girl is being hung from like pemmican from an elk's antlers? And all you do is scoff at it? Philistine! <laughs> The Samurai It's from 1967 A couple of things before we get started We should start the show Uh, Alain Delon is immortal In a thousand million ways Let me read you This is from Ephraim Katz uh, The film Ephraim Katz used to put out Encyclopedia until he passed away I much prefer books Because you can copy them On horrible copies like this That have black borders around them And lose half the paragraph And that's what I intend on doing here tonight Ladies and gentlemen When I read you Alain Delon First of all Alain Delon was born feral In the slums of Paris Like a cat looking for its next meal Running wild and free The best looking cat of all the litter Impregnating all the cats before he was four years old He was, he was a miscreant. He was a malcontent thrown into a child's prison, upbraided, uh, 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 put down. But he bridled against that. He pulled a fucking switchblade and fucking got on a Vespa and went, fuck you, mom, in French. <laughs> At 17, he joined the French Marines. Where did he go, Greg? To the siege of Gen Bien Phu, which was the ending of French colonialism in Vietnam in 1954, where hand-to-hand combat was held for the last several days as the last few French legionnaires fucking put their balls on the line to defend the last gasp of opium-dealing colonialism. At 17, that's where Alain Delon was. Let me just read how it's written here. Alain Delon, Sieur France, Uh, The product of a broken home, he was expelled from several Catholic schools and became a butcher's apprentice. What's a butcher's apprentice? No one's ever been a butcher's apprentice in this room. Fuck you, Hollywood. Not one person can stand up here and go, I learned the chopper and the slab. You hear me? The chopper and the fucking slab. Hacking chops, fucking making sausage in the morning while my dad beat me ceaselessly with a cat of nine tails dipped in brine that he had brought specially from Croatia. (laughs) Then rubbing salt on the wounds afterward and laughing gleefully through clenched teeth. (laughs) Butcher's apprentice, my ass. 
He fucking killed someone in that butcher shop. <laughs> At 17, he enlisted. Oh, so when were you apprenticing? When you were four and shit? Uh, he, he joined the French Marines and served as a parachutist. Um, let's call it what it is. A paratrooper. Parachutist is a shitty word. Yeah, there's way too much gay rodeo in parachutist. What do you do? I'm a parachutist. Try to hold on to this slippery mitt. You're a tough crowd. You are a little bit. You're a tough crowd. I know you're waiting for the movie, and she's someone just snork. That's a good sign. Over there, a dude went... In Indochina, during the Jianbin Fu siege. Fucking Google it, you guys. Later, when you realize at 17 what Alain Delon faced, and then had this movie career, you're going to be a little more impressed than you are when you had to wait a couple of minutes yesterday at Jamba Juice and shit. Upon returning to civilian life, that had to be quite a moment. <laughs> when you're a 17-year-old paratrooper at Jian Bien Phu, really, what can light you up after that? <laughs> I've had twin 12-year-olds vault off me like a fucking pole vault, okay? I've taken opium with, the, with Ho Chi Minh's friends. <laughs> Lunch? Sounds fabulous. <laughs> His pretty boy good looks paved the way for a film debut in 57. Uh, in 68, Delon and his then-wife, actress Natalie Delon, who you will see tonight in this picture, uh, were the central figures in a major murder, drug, and sex scandal that rocked the French capital. Let's put it this way, because it'll make it funner for you. There's no actor that's been involved in more cocaine-fueled orgies, gun-running, shady-ass promoting, and fucking wild-ass producing than Alain Delon. Robert Evans and Alain Delon went to Tahiti to get dueling facelifts based on a picture of Alain Delon's cat. I give you Le Samurai. How about that picture? Um, does style mean anything to anybody? He lives in a blue-gray room with a tatty little bird in a blue-gray cage. And when they bug his room to uh, find out his movements, the bird hips him to the fact that there's a 1967 bug nailed to the frame of his window. Uh, that movie... Uh, I don't know if it's deep or if it's just the most stylish, bloody gangster movie that ever fucking crossed the threshold. Uh, I don't think it matters in a, in a lot of ways. Uh, Melville, when he directed, wore a cowboy hat and sunglasses and had fought in World War II and was in the resistance and uh, um, uh, preceded all the French New Wave filmmakers who later uh, reviled him because they thought he was a fascist and then later embraced him and he died quite young. Uh, there's another movie called Le Cirque Rouge and another movie called uh, Bob Le Flambeur. And uh, I think if you see all those movies, uh, in Le Cirque Rouge in one scene, um, they're outside and the grass is painted. And that excites me more than anything else that could ever happen in a film. Uh, 
in, in this movie, the alley, the police station, the nightclub, is there ever a moment when he drives into uh, 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 the chop shop each time uh, when he comes down that little alley? Is there ever a moment where every centimeter of the screen is not filled with what Jean-Pierre Melville wants you to see? There's no errant uh, filmmaking. There's no, um, th- th- there's no uh, improvisation. Everything is a perfect picture, I think, with him every moment. Does Alain Delon, and I'm just asking this rhetorically, drink or eat during the entire movie? <laughs> it's three days' time, right? We start on Saturday or whatever. It goes through Sunday. It goes through dimanche and then lundi. And uh, he's shot on Sunday. <laughs> carries on for an entire another day. Doesn't take a drink of water. Orders a whiskey in one scene. Doesn't drink it. <laughs> Smokes quite a lot. Never loosens his tie. Comes home, takes his clothes off at one point, puts on another suit. <laughs> that's bitchiner than the suit he had on. <laughs> takes off the Burberry trench coat, fucking Robert Capa, unbelievable, right? Uh, London fog coat, and puts on a long black 1940s below the knee coat in 1967. Um, the music in the movie. Um, how come they're playing cool school California jazz in 1967? There's not a moment of rock is acknowledged in this movie. Rock does not exist. All that exists are dames who are, by the way, stand-up dames. Both the girlfriend that he gives one perfunctory hug to toward the end and the, and the Parisian nightclub singer who were all shocked to find as a black girl in 1967 in Paris who we don't know what happened we just know that she cools in her crib in a kimono <laughs> and doesn't wear any shoes at all and plays piano while people are talking to uh, her and could clearly be shot at any moment uh, the women have giant dicks the men have giant clits this movie's awesome <laughs> Let's chat for a moment and then we'll go. Robbo's got a microphone there. Uh, 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 There's no question that I I think Clouseau, Melville. I mean, when you talk about the French gangster movies, he wanted Belmondo for this, but Belmondo couldn't do it. And so he put Belmondo in Belmondo's outfit. Because if you remember him in Breathless or every other Belmondo movie, he's always wearing the Bogart outfit from The Big Sleep, basically. Uh, 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 Melville adored 30s gangster movies, as do we here at the Greg Proops Film Club. Does anyone want to say anything? Uh, Robbo's got a mic. A couple of shared thoughts, and then we'll groove out into the night smoking cigarettes in our car without rolling the window down while it rains <laughs> how cool was that when he steals the first fucking car and he gets in and he's got every key in the world and he just quietly quietly tries one after the next with his eyes shooting from side to side and then on the third key it starts and he lights a fag and doesn't roll the window down and you're like it is badassery uh How cool does Paris look in 1967? A bit terse, though, too, right? It's got that French connection feel, like there's garbage on the streets and, uh, yeah. All right, who's out there? Hi, Greg. Hi, what's your name? It's Lewis. Hi, Lewis. How are you, pal? Um, At the beginning, you you described again, it's terse, and uh, you ain't whistling Dixie, because Delon, he's walking monosyllabically. Yes. Well, you, 
There, you know, all right. Look, if we want to get into the pedantic Cahiers du Cinema kind of breakdown of this film here, he's dead already, right? He's dead when the movie starts. He's Orpheus. He's come from the other world, and he's going back to the other world. And at the end, when he doesn't have the bullets in his gun, it proves that he's gone back to die again, right? And then he knows he's going to die. That the entire movie is a fatalistic drive toward his ultimate expiration, which has already happened at the moment of him letting her go. Right, the moment he sees the the moment he commits the first murder uh, against Marty or whoever, uh, and she sees him in the hallway and he just breezes by her, you're like, no, that's that's breaking with Shogun protocol. <laughs> because at the beginning of the movie it says the life of the samurai, blah blah blah. And by the way, Melville made that up. It's there's no fucking book and there's no quote. <laughs> he just wanted to rock your world. Um, there's a scene where he walks down uh, the hallway toward the guy the first time, not the, not the blonde guy in the room, but when he's walking down the hallway. And if you notice, there's a line going down the hallway, almost like a Guy Bourdain photograph. And he walks that line the whole way down until he gets to the guy and everything. And then there's that oblique gunfight where he gets shot in the arm, but you don't see what happens. And that's the only part of the movie that's not graphically depicted in a unbelievably sober and fucking uh, calculated cinema verite way and that's the scene where all of a sudden the camera's out there and then whoa and then he runs back and then oh my god and then did it remind anyone of um, uh, 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 the, uh, the Coen brothers in um, No Country for Old Men when uh, 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 Shigru gets in the bathtub and, and pours the uh, hydrogen peroxide on his leg and whatever when he sees the wound after he's been sleeping all night and he just pours hydrogen peroxide on it and you just watch it foam and he just goes does he make an expression at any point during the movie does his face does he ever smile does he ever even raise his eyebrow I mean it is I don't think terse begins to curt determined uh, yeah, he, he is in another world. I think Detachment is the name of this movie, and that's what makes it so unbelievably bitching from the word go. And uh, the color scheme, which uh, at, at first, it wasn't. did anyone think it was black and white? Has anyone not seen this movie before? In the beginning, did anyone go like, is this movie in the Miracle of Blue? <laughs> and then later you go, oh, there are colors. They're just not going to, they're not letting them bleed through at all. Uh, any more questions? Well, one more. Oh, we have those. Go on, Robbo. Skedaddle, you little, you cinema monkey, you. <laughs> we're going to be back here on September 16th. I don't know which picture we're talking about. Uh, we might show The Hit by Stephen Frears. We're also thinking about um, uh, 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 My Man Godfrey. Uh, with, uh, yeah, okay, some people like that. With William Powell and um, Kittens, I'm forgetting her name. Carol and Carol Lombard. Who made My Man Godfrey? Does anyone... It is Gregory LaCava, who's an extraordinary director from the... Uh, and, uh, yes? Um, you know, there's a big chunk of movie missing in this print. Oh, yeah. Yeah, when he goes, when he goes to kill the guy, <clears throat> the film cuts out, and then you miss the scene where he sets up... I was hoping someone like you wouldn't be here tonight, because <laughs> I couldn't help but notice during that part, I turned to my wife and went, what the fuck happened to that part of the movie? <laughs> You know, they said it was a new print, and it might be a new print. It's just not a new print that's restored with every moment of the movie still in it. I'm so sorry about that part. There's nothing I can do. What I would do is write Hadrian at Cinefamily. <laughs> Your chairs have been uncomfortable for years. Why do you have smart water? Who's coming here on the weekend? Jennifer Aniston? 
There's a bunch of things I'd take up with Hadrian on this. And that's one of them. How come when I went to see Le Samurai and I wanted to be rocked so hard when he goes to kill the guy, there's a four-minute sequence missing from the fucking middle of the movie? Like I was watching it in 1981 at three in the morning high on some fucking shitty cable station in Spokane, Washington, and some drunk dude just edited that shit out. I have no idea why that chunk is missing. But well spotted. Isn't it great? Yeah. Melville, I, I just really feel like Melville is uncompromising. Uh, he's like a novelist who just challenges you to like fucking understand what the fuck's going on. It's really up to you because he's going to do what he's doing. Um, is the bird dying before Alain Delon leaves, by the way? And Alain Delon gives it one last sidelong glance and goes, and then fucks off. Are, like, are we led to believe that the bird is about to expire? Because the bird's like, chirp, chirp. And then at the end, it's sort of on the floor of the cage. Chirp. I've had your back the whole fucking movie. I am the newspaper guy in this movie. I am the cab driver. The bird is supplying all of those parts that in noir movies are often played by... Uh, peripheral characters who, you know, hey, what's the problem? Hey, no, I'll, t- I'll pick you up at eight, bub. You know? Uh, really, he's reduced it to a bird chirping at that point. I know, it's so oblique, and, and I, I just, I worship him for that part, I really do. Um, um, Alundalon is in a, a, a lot of good movies, but I really feel like um, this is his Clint Eastwoody, you know, type role. Does he say a word for the first 15 minutes of the movie I don't think he speaks at all and then she opens the door and he goes like "Mm -hmm." (laughs) also may I point out something else about this movie in the movie Pulp Fiction we're all extraordinarily thrilled at the moment when Samuel Jackson and uh, uh, John Travolta accidentally shoot Phil Lamar in the car and they take him over to Quentin Tarantino's house and they have to clean the car up and everything and they phone Harvey Keitel's character Mr. Wolf and it's supposed to be 7.40 in the morning or something and Mr. Wolf is at a cocktail party in a tuxedo in this movie does anything take place at a human hour? He, he phones his girlfriend the first time at 1.45 then he phones his girlfriend at 7 a.m. and both times she goes like and just fucking gets up and deals. He goes to a poker... What time is that poker game going on? How many times is it dawn in this movie? And he's going to places. When does this bar open? When did... Even, even Philip Marlowe orders bacon and eggs sometimes. Even Sam Spade stops and has pancakes or a pork chop or something. This character just fucking goes and goes and goes and goes. Uh, there's no food, nothing. It's just amazingly awesome. It's never daylight. It's never nighttime. It's always this ether world. <laughs> also, by the way, the police station. Has there ever been a more stylish police station <laughs> that has glassine blue doors with striped silver uh, striations on them and those giant 60s handles and he just pushes through one door and in one room everyone's typing now they'd all be on computers and then he brushes into the other room and everyone's just standing there and then he brushes into the other oh man like it is hipster's hipster world 
Uh, one more, and then we'll, f- well, then we'll fuck off. Real quickly, though. Whoa, whoa. In Robert. the sense of the film, though, although it may have said uh, new print somewhere, that was clearly a mistake. It, it's really an ultra-rare print, and that's how it should have been. Ah, it's, it's ultra-rare. There you is. Yeah, it's the, it's the only one that exists without that four-minute sequence. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the last, uh... I, I think you'll find the rareness consists of the parts that you're missing that you have to fill in with your own imagination. I, I just wanted to add that everybody... Uh, no woman ever wants to speak to me at the Greg Proops Film Club. May I ask that the next film that we show, and I'm going to show, by the way, Little Women with Winona Ryder. <laughs> if I have to, I'm going to show Clueless, God damn it. There's going to be a woman ask a question at the film club where I am going to die fucking trying. All right. Well, yes, sir. Go on. It is hard. Imagine how I feel. Yes, my darling. Yes, sir. Everybody's so good at their job. Even the witness was amazing at his job. Yeah. Like, the level, there's nobody in that movie who's not super professional. Right. What was he like? Well, he was wearing that hat, that coat. He had a cigarette over there. He walked with a limp. His name was Joe, and he had half a mustache. And on, on Tuesdays, he always ordered chicken. You know, like, yeah. What would it be like if you weren't observant? No, everyone in this movie just clips along. That's what I mean. It's, it's, it's a whole world. The girlfriend, when he shakes her down and calls her a prostitute, the policeman, and then goes, like, I, I'm going to put you away and whatnot. And she goes, the answer's no, and opens the door. <laughs> And in 1940s fashion, three cops in black coats brush by her one after the next, and then he goes, we'll meet again. <laughs> it's always 1944. Uh, did you have a question or no? Is, was there a woman, the one who yelled it's hard or anything? Or? Okay. I said I, don't make me show. What was it, darling? Oh, yeah, that's right. How many Citrons are in this movie? Not since Day of the Jackal have you seen this many fucking Citrons in one movie. The opening sequence of Day of the Jackal, I think, is 150 Citrons in a row that are all black. He only steals Citrons. He doesn't steal Subarus. He doesn't steal Ladas. You don't see any other fucking cars. There's no Porsches. There's no Mercedes. Even the cops drive different fucking cars than him. Evidently, in Paris in 1967, there were only... Uh, slate-colored Sichuans with rain pouring off the windshield that had giant black plates on them that could be changed quite easily by a man wearing I don't know if anyone noticed 1967 mom jeans and some super groovy Mac Davis glasses Uh, I love the fence yeah, he only steals one kind of car and did anyone else notice that the police also have the same keychain that the criminal had yeah, yeah, that was the Fritz Lang part I thought What's the difference between the cops and the criminals? Right, exactly. Someone just went, nothing. <laughs> nothing. Any more? We can. Anybody else? No? We're happy to go. Uh, I don't know. What, what was the other two that we were thinking of? Uh, we were going to show the hit or. My Man Godfrey. Oh, Sexy Beast. Was it too soon to show Sexy Beast? I, I don't think it is. I think, I think we're ready for Sexy Beast in September in some ways. Because that is one of the great British gangster films. As you know, in every British gangster film, it started with Bob Hoskins in the 80s. Someone at one point goes, you fucking toilet. <laughs> oh, how fucking dare you. 
Um, but Sexy Beast is really a cracker. I'm really, I'm leaning, I'm leaning kind of toward that one because it won't, it really clips along. And unlike this movie, Sexy Beast has a soft gelatinous fucking toffee center. There's love at the center of Sexy Beast. At the very center of this movie, there's another center made of more glass. <laughs> this has been the Greg Proops Film Club. Thank you very much for coming out. You've been the most wonderful crowd in the world. We've shown Jean-Pierre Melville's masterpiece, The Samurai Tonight. Join us next time in another one of our cinematic adventures. The Every Page of Eternity is such a page. Every time you go wild, may it be a Billy Wilder, and I think you fond of you. Good night. I'd like to do it. 